0: What's up, everyone? I hope you're doing well today. This is Rafael Garcia here with Shawan Humes for episode number 139 of the MMA Ratings Podcast. Today is Thursday, October 24th. We hope you are doing well, everyone, and we have quite a bit to talk about. So, Shawan, let everybody know how you're doing today.
1: Uh, not too bad. Weather is getting kind of schizophrenic in, in Texas. One minute it's 90 degrees, then it's freezing cold rain, then it's 83 degrees again. It's nuts.
0: Listen, man, it's that time of year. We know what's coming. We've been, people have been complaining about it being cold all or hot all summer. Now it's about to be cold. People are going to be complaining about that. Let's just make it through these next couple months and go from there.
1: That's the plan. That I've is been- the plan.
0: So let's go ahead and jump right into it and um, talk about a couple of different things. because we got a hell of a lot to talk about today. And we're going to be covering everything about the Nate Diaz situation, UFC 244. We're going to talk Conor McGregor. We're going to talk Paige Van Zandt and uh, Macy Barber. Um, Randy Couture had a heart attack today. That's kind of the first news I wanted to start with. But, you know, he's doing okay. I've read his statement and everything. So people are out tweeting him. Um, talking about his best wishes. And we're also going to look at Ben Askren and Damian Maya. But let's go ahead and start with Nate Diaz. So he released a statement today on Instagram that caught the MMA world um, pretty off guard, and everyone is kind of reeling from that. This is, this is what I, everyone's been watching for the last few hours. And this is something that we have to talk about because it's huge. I'm going to start with actually reading Nate's statement because this is probably the most important part to this. Let me see if I can find it again, though. I'm not sure where it went. Give me one second to pull this back up. Um, but I wanted to start off by talking about Nate's comics because it seems like the UFC 244 main event for the BMF title or whatever the hell they're calling it between him and Jorge Masvidal is now in jeopardy. The reason why it has been in jeopardy is because here's a statement here by Nate Diaz. I'm reading um, the the quote here. I'm not going to make it out to to New York City for fight week next week because they say I tested with elevated levels that they say might be from some tainted supplements. I call false on that because I only take whole food or natural food supplements. I don't even eat meat. So until UFC, USADA, or whoever is fucking with me fixes it, I won't be competing. I'm not going to play their game and try to hide it or keep quiet as they suggested. Let's that's, that's, that's definitely note that as they suggested. I'm not going to have my name tainted as a cheater like these other motherfuckers who keep quiet until they until after the fight just to say that they can get paid. Fucking cheaters, I don't give a fuck about some money over my dignity and my legacy. I'm not playing along with this bullshit. I'm not staying quiet and figuring it out after the fight. That's cheating. My fight game, so fight game, I'll see you when I see you. Sincerely, the realest, baddest motherfucker in the game. So that statement right there came out uh, out around 6.30 Eastern Standard Time. And people went ballistic because it's saying so many different things here. First, you have to look at USC 244, which that main event is now in jeopardy. This isn't a notoriously stacked card, but this has been the fight that people have been kind of excited about for the longest time. Even, you know, they're talking about The Rock being there to put the belt around the winner's title. They made up this fake belt that, that they had created. Uh, there's a lot of popping circumstance around this matchup here. Uh, but, this is enough of a reason to give pause for people to have some type of fear around the situation here. So, Swan, what are your initial thoughts about that comment there? And there's, there's some specific pieces I want to break down. But let's just start with you t- talking about how you, what your reaction was to this statement.
1: Well, I've always wondered because the, the Diaz brothers have always accused people of being on drugs or using steroids or something and how everybody's been a cheater so i always in my mind imagine what it would be like if by some some stroke of luck one of them's got busted for steroids and so when this happened i was really interested to see what nate's response would be you know would there be some humbleness would there be some contrition would there be some media spin but if there's nothing else these guys are consistent and i have to respect them for the consistency because he did his typical after you go to hell, I'm not playing this game sort of thing, and to be honest, I, I kind of believe him, because, you know, most guys, when they do it, they they kind of spin it, they try to hide away from it, and he confronted it head-on. He's like, no, there's no there's no chances happened. There's no supplement. There's no nothing. I didn't do it. And you, if you're going to believe somebody, you're going to believe somebody who strongly, yet directly, rebuffs the uh, accusations, and that's what he did. So, to me, he comes off as believable, much more so than other people who have been accused. And, um... I don't know. Uh, I think a lot of people are being confused by what he's trying to say because he said that he didn't want to go ahead with the fight. And I, I believe the UFC told him, look, just go ahead with the fight and we'll get this straightened out later. But to him, he thinks that's cheating because if you have the specter of a failed test over you, you shouldn't be fighting at all. You should your main goal to should be proving your innocence and, and uh, legitimizing your your legacy by proving your innocence and not 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 being involved and that's all he was saying he's saying money's not more important getting this belt isn't more important being the main event isn't more important what's important is me clearing my name and letting everybody know that that's not what i did that's not who i am and i'm not even gonna entertain mma or anybody in mma until this gets straightened out and when you think about how much money he's probably costing himself and how much pressure he's getting from the UFC to go ahead and fight with it, it just makes you that much more willing to to believe him because he he's he's cost himself a pretty a pretty good penny. And if, with the win in this kind of fight, he could be even more of a big a big crossover star. So he's costing himself a lot, all because he feels he's innocent and he doesn't want to play in any sort of the game, any sort of game, until his innocence has been proven by somebody else. So I have to respect what he's doing. Financially he's probably not smart, but uh, you know. What? You have to respect somebody who stands by their morals and is willing to take it on the chin to prove that they're innocent. So
0: you said a couple of different things there, and I really want to kind of talk about that situation because the biggest thing that stood out to me was his statement about covering it up. And his exact line was, I won't be competing. I'm not going to play their game and try to hide it or keep, it or keep quiet as they suggested. So the UFC has a pattern with this. We saw it with the Jorge Mastodal. Not, excuse me, not Jorge Mastodal. My apologies. We saw it with the John Jones Vitor Belfort situation. We saw it with John Jones himself when they've moved fights around for him.
1: Lesnar they Hunt.
0: have... Who's, yep, um, Hunt as well. They have a track record of doing this. We know this organization is about making as much money as they possibly can. And morals will go out the window one, 10 times out of 10. But how much of a blow is this to the UFC and USADA partnership if, if someone's digging around and they find out the truth about this? That's the biggest statement that stood out to me. People hold up the, the USADA process and they hold up these failed drug tests as there's some type of permanent black eye on these fighters' um, career and their, these fighters' legacy. You should like The way the fans talk about these situations is downright stupid, in my opinion. But we've seen them be willing to cover up situations in the past. Ten days out from what is probably going to be their biggest fight of the second half of 20, um, 2019, I would not put it past the UFC to attempt to do this again to keep this situation under wraps. How big of a story is this small line out of his statement?
1: Uh It's a huge story. I mean, it's basically... Calls into question the integrity of the UFC and the integrity of USADA because if they know it and they hold the results until after an event, in theory, you're putting someone's life in jeopardy because you're letting someone who's failed a test and has an unfair advantage go into a cage fight. I mean, all it takes is one person to die and then find out somebody had a failed test. I mean, that would be that. I wouldn't say it's the end of the sport, but it'd be a huge blow because the biggest, the biggest promotion in the sport would be accused of being improper as far as enforcing rules and looking out for the safety of fighters. So this could be a huge story if if there's any real paper trail or anything that somebody can follow to build a case against them. I mean, like I said, it wouldn't be the end of the UFC, but I can't see how it wouldn't set it four, five, six steps backwards. I mean, it calls, it, it calls everything into question from that point on. You, you can't trust them, and then you can't, you can't trust this organization whose job it is to not just catch cheaters, but to expose them to the public as soon as they get this information. So that just means those guys are being bought off. And that means the UFC isn't concerned about fighter safety or about a clean sport. They're concerned about their bottom line. We all know that when you get proof of what you have always known, that's when damage is really done.
0: Yeah, this is definitely a damning situation here, and I hope that someone deep, dives deep into this aspect of the story, because this is something, in my opinion, that that needs much more attention. Because imagine if they are covering, not covering this up, I hate to say it like that, but trying to do their best to keep this fight together, regardless of what else is Going on, and regardless of the fact that this man basically said someone told him to keep quiet so they can um, keep this fight together and I think that that is a major problem and a major um, concern and I hope someone does a deeper dive into that piece. let's talk about what's kind of what's spiraled out of control since then because first off now we got Jorge Masov, and there's conflicting reports about Jorge Macedo being on this card now, whether or not this fight is off. There are some individuals that are saying that Leon Edwards has been kind of been tapped as a replacement and that the UFC had him training to prepare for this fight just in case. Josh Gross just kind of refuted that, talking to Leon Edwards' management um, just maybe about 15, 20 minutes ago. If Let's say that Leon Edwards is the guy to replace Nate Diaz for this fight. What does that do for the ramifications of UFC 244 for you? Is this still a pay-per-view quality main event? Is it more important now? Because, you know, Leon Edwards has been on a tear. He's ranked, and he's someone that if he gets this win here, he could easily be a, um, the next individual to face a, uh, a champion in um, 2020. But from a marketability standpoint, does this fight change if Leon Edwards has slid into that main event spot?
1: Well, that, that's the thing about it. If Le- Leon Edwards gets moved in, it's a more legitimate fight, it's a more important fight, but it's not a fight that captures the public's attention. It's not a, a fight that excites not just hardcores, but the casual fans. So financially, it's a huge blow to the UFC because the hardcore fans, the hardcore fans tune in anyways. We don't have to worry about the hard ca- hardcore fans. They're going to watch, they're going to show up, they're going to do their little thing. Where the money comes in is when you get the casual fans who don't buy every pay-per-view, who don't watch every fight, who don't read every article. The people who just tune in when it's a name they recognize and a fight they like. That's what they're missing out on. And the second reason it hurts them is because they were trying to prove to a certain degree, like, we're beyond the Conor McGregor thing. Look, we've got these big knockouts. We've got these big stars. Look, Nate separated himself. He doesn't need Conor jorge doesn't need connor they're on their own thing they're showing that they're going to make a big pay-per-view they're going to headline an event without any world title yada 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 now the ufc is right back to where they started where they don't have anybody who can excite the crowd they don't have anybody who can pull in casuals they don't have anybody who can make an impact on the mainstream media they're right back to square one they took one step forward to separating themselves. And now they're right back at square one where they don't have any real ticket seller, any real pay-per-view draw, any real guy who draws butts in the seats. So they're right back where they started, where they need a transcendent star or someone close to it to help them get over the hump where they're at, where they make that, you know, 100,000 buys or this, whatever rating they get. So it hurts them on two fronts. They've proven they can't, even though the UFC is big, They can't sell past a certain point without a star. And for the event, the UFC is taking a big hit. You might come up with a better fight, but you won't have a more interesting or a fight that generates as much of an emotional response as Masvidal and Diaz, which was totally organic. That was totally organic. That wasn't the UFC's planning. They just jumped on the wave of popularity. And now they've lost that as well.
0: They've lost that, but... From a promotional value, does Edwards' name add any additional, does he do anything? I don't even think he does anything for hardcore no. fans, to be honest.
1: No, well, there's hardcore fans. It's, it's a better fight. It's a more interesting fight because Edwards is sharp. He's been active. Masvidal is sharp. He's been active. They both have an array of skills. They're both beat and ranked guys. So it's a more legitimate fight. The people who want the purity of the sport, they'll love it. But people who love the purity of the sport don't keep the lights on in the building. It's the casual fans who keep the lights on. It's the same thing in the music business. You have all these indie acts and these artistic acts and these deep acts. The ones who keep the lights on are the commercial acts. They allow us to get the hardcores and the indie acts out there because they're making so much money. We can take a chance on this this group or that group. Uh, Leon Edwards, nobody wants to see him fight Jorge Masvidal except the hardcore fans. Nobody's interested in it. Nobody demanded that fight. Nobody demands any Leon Edwards fight. He doesn't sell fights. He's not interesting. He's not particularly exciting. He's a great fighter, but he has no draw. And because he has no draw, the UFC's bottom line is going to be hurt by this. Especially if he beats, if he some reason he fought Masvidal and beat him, all the momentum Masvidal built up is now gone, and he's right back at square one. Yeah,
0: it's definitely it. It, it has some ramifications across the divisions that I, I think that aren't worth it. Um, in my opinion, they will be much better pulling the fight for now and figuring out what else they can do with that card. Even if I guess it's, it's a card that is a pay-per-view event. Um, they've done it in the past where they switched a pay-per-view event to a televised show and it's ate, ate the money on the back end. I think they should do something like that to kind of reap in some goodwill with the fans because throwing the Edwards on the, the fight card and expecting people to pay $65, $80 or whatever it may be to um, watch this show on pay-per-view isn't going to be worth it, in my opinion. There's another individual that threw his name into the, into the hat. I'm not going to talk about Kamaru Usman and Kobe Covington because we both know they're not taking this fight last minute. But there's another individual that threw his name into the hat. One, Conor McGregor. So we got a couple of different things to talk about with um, Conor. Uh, first and foremost, I think he does not need to even be in this conversation. There, yes, if he stepped in to fight Moskidon on 10 days notice, everybody would watch. I would watch. You would watch. People all over the world would, would watch. However, this man has some other issues he needs to be concerned about. And last week, I believe it was last week, or maybe the week before, news broke that he is being um, investigated for a second um, sexual assault case. This is the second one since December of 2018. And as we talked about the first time, in Ireland, um, this situation uh, supposedly occurred in Dublin. The situation there is that publications, media outlets cannot name the individual accused until they are actually charged. McGregor has not been charged with anything. But the information that has been released basically pointed out that this is a famous Irish sports person, sportsman, that also has another uh, investigation in the same area. Um, under his name right now. Of course, that leads everyone to Conor McGregor. Now, that alone should keep him out of any consideration for fighting anytime soon. Instead, what we got today is that he is talking about his preparation for uh, return to action in 2020, supposedly fighting three times next year. Before we hop into that, let's talk about him and these allegations that are following him around. How bad does this look for the UFC to kind of ignore this matter when we have McGregor who, who consistently finds his way into a courtroom? And these two allegations are the worst. I mean, he's already settled once for smashing that guy's phone in Miami. I think it was Miami. He settled for that, that uh, situation with punching the guy in the Dublin bar. He also um, was in court for the situation in New York. Um, He was allegedly in a a bar brawl in um, Dublin in in the past. He jumped into that that cage in Bellator and almost faced um, ramifications for that. Trouble is following this guy all over the place in a way that is almost disturbing to watch. How much of a black eye would it be for the UFC to do business with this man again knowing what he has uh, on his name right now?
1: I don't think it'd be be any worse than anything else they've been involved in. I mean, what he's been accused of is much worse. But the UFC's had a history of hiring domestic abusers, people who have alcohol problems, drug problems, people who have possibly been dealing drugs. You know, it's it's no more of a black eye than anything else. And to be honest, it's no more a black eye than any other sport. Lots of sports have to deal with this only difference is since they're in an organization with multiple owners and multiple individual individuals and individual entities as far as companies supporting them they have to answer these questions much more frankly they can't intimidate the media they can't push out the media they can't just ignore the media they actually have to have answers to the questions posed by the media and um the ufc doesn't have it they kind of even though they're supposed to be a legitimate mainstream sport they operate on the exact opposite spectrum of the legitimate mainstream sports. I mean, if you know Ben Roethlisberger and other people have to answer these questions, how do you not have Conor McGregor? How do you have not some of these guys who are mid carters not have to be front and center and answer questions about what they're doing. So I don't think it puts any more of a black eye. to be quite honest. I mean, Anthony Johnson has been known as domestic abuser. He's fought on a bunch of cards. Greg Hardy's still fighting. You know, you, you just heard a bunch of things. I mean, at one point, B.J. Penn was accused of some sort of uh, sexual assault, and he still fought on it. And that was a couple years ago, and he's fought in the UFC two or three times since then. So, I mean, what are we talking about? He was never found guilty, but he had multiple accusations.
0: So I think what's so bad about this matter is the fact that they're not even willing to talk about it. During the press conference today— Uh, when McGregor was announcing this quote-unquote return, um, and I want to put those in air quotes because nothing's been actually formally signed or announced by the UFC, one reporter, just one, asked a question about the allegations and the host cut him off and didn't answer the question and wouldn't let him answer any more questions going forward. Um, That's very telling to me. Uh, When you look at matters such as You know, like Greg Hardy in the the NFL. The NFL made a statement and they took action. It may not have been the best action, but they took action. Same thing with the Ray Rice situation in the NFL. The NFL took
1: action. Well, Ray Rice only took action once they saw the video. Correct. Once they 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 saw the
0: video because they they knew about it beforehand. The fact of the matter is that that they still took action. This is this man's second allegation for this situation And he's had, uh, what, three other situations that have been um, handled in court. At some point in time, there needs to be a stop to say, hey, we need to get this solved before we are allowed to do business with you again. And um, the fact that they're not even having a conversation about that is really telling to me. The fact that they're not even willing to answer questions about that is
1: very, very telling to me. And well, let me ask you a question. What since since the UFC considers their fighters to be independent contractors, is Mm -hmm. it who hasn't fought in what almost a year now? Close to a year? Is it really their is it really that is it really their job to force to have to answer questions? I mean, he's not scheduled to fight. He's not an employee, he's an individual contractor. Isn't it his job to answer those questions? In theory, I mean Dana White can say, Why are you coming to me? Like, I, I just provided the platform. He's his own business. So and there's a couple of different things there because I actually wrote about this in
0: reference to um, the situation earlier this week. There, you remember the UFC code of conduct policy that they had that no one really released? Um, the interesting thing about that is there are a lot of people who believe that that went away simply because of the fact that the UFC wants to keep that facade up that these fighters are independent contractors. If they have a policy in place that mandates how people um, behave outside of the workplace and offers up punishment for these individuals, that gives those individuals further cause to be considered employees. And you know that there's a snowball that comes out after that that just rolls downhill that the UFC will not be able to stop. That's why a lot of individuals look at this situation and, and others and how they've handled them by not saying anything as the UFC saying, hey, distancing, distancing, distancing themselves from that code of conduct and treating these individuals as independent contractors, even though we all know that that's not the case.
1: Well, I'm just, I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't know that, that Conor is actually legitimately scheduled with the UFC. He'd to... He, like, he likes to call shots. He likes to demand attention. He likes to put himself in a position where he's being talked about. I haven't heard from anybody in, in the UFC that they've got to fight scheduled schedule for him. I haven't heard that they've had any plans for him. I know they turned a fight down with Brent Yeager for him, but I don't know that they've had anything set in stone for him to actually fight. So even though, even though I believe they would go with it, I can't jump on them yet because they haven't done anything. And all these issues he's had have happened while he hasn't been in the, the cage he hasn't been in the cage and they haven't anything, had, had anything scheduled for him so how mad can I be at the UFC he's not he's really not an active fighter right now all this stuff has been happening hasn't happened with him as an active fighter correct well yeah well
0: I don't know if all these situations have happened without him being an active fighter because if you're the champion that's different and I know, and I believe he was a champion for some of these instances. So that may be different there.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. That that's totally different. If if it was in fact happening during that time, I don't. Once again, know why it didn't come up, but if it if it did and it came out, then those people have to have to express that. They have to be. They have to deal with it. But to my and like I said, maybe Dana knew about it. Maybe the UFC brass knew about it. But we're just finding out about it about now. Now, if they knew about it, then that's. That's something else they hit. That's something else they covered up or paid to go away. And maybe they're letting it come out now because he's not a, as much of an asset to them. So let's talk about um, that I mean, once, it once, Real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick Gabriel, this, this happens in other sports, like with coaches or certain players, when they're having an issue with them, all of a sudden drug tests fail, mysterious video comes out. Certain crimes, certain things that happen all of a sudden come back from the past two years ago that you never heard about, all of a sudden get to light. Organizations do this sometimes when they feel somebody isn't an asset or becomes too much trouble, which which makes you question the morality of not just of the, of the fighter or the athlete, but the morality of the organization they fight or they play for.
0: So, yes, these situations do occur in other sports. I think that they're handled differently in other sports as well. But what you said there was something interesting because you said that, um, that we'll see how the kind of like the UFC deals with this matter in the future. Conor McGregor is at a much less strength point when it comes to bargaining with, with, with the UFC, he has much less power than he did at one, one point in time. And it's not just because of his recent defeat, um, to kabut with Amargo Madoff, but he has a lot less power than he once did. And that's why I find his, um, his announcement in air quotes about coming back in 2020 so interesting because now he's, usually it would take, Conor would fight one year and then he would dance around and talk about money, talk about every other thing other than getting back in the cage. But now he's sitting here plotting out some three-fight 2020 plan where he may fight either Donald Cerrone or Justin Gacy. He was talking about fighting either Nate Diaz or Jorge Masvidal and either Conor McGregor or um, excuse me, or either Tony Ferguson and Khabib Nurmagomedov. Seeing him come out and make that statement lets me know that he knows he's in a position where he does not have nearly as much power with the UFC as he once did.
1: Yeah, no, he doesn't. He's he's not, not, mainly because he hasn't done done his job he hasn't fought a big the biggest thing that made Con- one of the things that made connor a star was he talked a lot but he always backed it up he, used to, he was fighting a lot he was fighting injured he was fighting short notice he was taking on the best the ufc had to offer and that's what legitimized his star power now that he's no longer fighting and he's coming off of a boxing loss to mayweather and a fairly one-sided loss to khabib a lot of that mystique is gone now he's just another guy talking a lot I mean, he's he's no he's to a certain degree he's no better than a keyboard warrior because even though he's a legitimate fighter, he's not fighting and he doesn't have he doesn't seem to have any plans to fight. So now his his activities outside of the cage are starting to overshadow his his activities in the cage because he's just not in the cage. So he doesn't have any leverage. He doesn't have any any leeway. Not really especially with the USC's new ESPN deal, and the fact that people's memories are exceedingly short. They don't remember the last time Conor McGregor walked in with that swagger and walked out with that swagger. Last time they say him walked out, he was coming off a loss and in an all-out brawl in the cage. So he doesn't have as much leeway. He doesn't have as much power. And with the kind of charges he's been hit with, every single one of these that comes up is a very serious charge, especially in the climate we have today. It'd be serious regardless, but in the climate we have today, these kind of charges take away any sort of mystique or power or, or fanboyism you generate among the, among the people who actually make you as a, as a star, the fans. So mm-hmm. he's, he's, in, he's in a real precarious spot, and I think he's trying to get this subject matter back on fighting. So that if he fights and gets some wins together, maybe he can get away from these allegations. Maybe he can get away and get the fans back on his side. Maybe he can get to a position where he's kind of calling shots again and maybe being protected by the UFC. Because the UFC will protect an asset. Conor McGregor has not been an asset for them for the better part of a year and a half, almost.
0: So let's talk about these potential fights um, on paper that we're um, looking at. Do you see any value in these fights? Is there any interest that immediately jumps off the page
1: to you? Uh, what do you like? What do you mean with the potential fights he had listed?
0: Yeah, with the fights that he had listed, is there anything interesting? Like, do they get you excited? Um, about the opportunity of seeing him facing any of these men?
1: Well, the fact of the matter is, Connor's like, floating. Mayweather or Canelo or Oscar De La Hoya, he'll make money regardless of whoever he fights. But with each guy, you have sort of an angle you can sell it with. With with a Conor and a Cowboy fight, Cowboys comes to fight. He's exciting. He's got a big fan base. He kind of is a cult figure in mixed martial arts. So you have him fight Cowboy. That's a big seller. Cowboy's got some striking skills. Cowboy's a very good grappler. So you see you see avenues of victory for Cowboy, but you also see clear avenues of victory for Conor McGregor. So it's a safe fight for Conor. It's also a big fight because of who's involved, and it could make him and the UFC a lot of money. That would, that would, even though Cowboy's on a, a bit of a losing streak, his name, his cachet and name value, along with Conor, will push pay-per-view buys. They could build that fight up very well. They could make that fight and make a lot of money off it. Against Justin Gaethje, it's the same thing only difference with Gaethje is Gaethje's closer to the title. So Conor versus Gaethje fight really, really could reestablish Conor as a world-class competitor. And that chance to reestablish himself will get his fans back watching, will get casuals watching, will get hardcores watching, and it will get to the point where it's going to be like Floyd Mayweather. People are, aren't just showing up to support him. They're showing up to hope that Justin Gaethje shuts his mouth permanently and runs him out of the sport. So between those two names... Both have value because Connor hasn't won a fight in over, what, year and a half, two years in the UFC? He hasn't won a fight in that long. So beating anybody who's been active legitimizes him and shows that he's back on the right track. Beating someone of Justin Gaethje's caliber shows that he's still one of the very best in the world, and it's a favorable style matchup. So both fights have value. Both fights make the UFC money. Both fights, if he won them, puts him in position to challenge for a title within another fight or two.
0: So, which fights would you rather see the most? Let's go. Let's go through the three that he named: out of Donald Cerrone, and Justin Gaethje. Which fight would you rather see?
1: Um, the Gaethje fight probably the most interesting. It, I've always thought that he beats Donald Cerrone. I think Cerrone has got a an array of skills, but I've always felt that Conor, with his body work and the accuracy of his counter punching, especially with Cowboy's chin being extra shaky, I always felt the Cowboy that uh, Donald that excuse me, McGregor could beat him. So that wouldn't be as interesting a matchup to me outside of the fact that Conor hasn't been in the cage in forever. You you don't know what he has left. The Gaethje fight is probably the money fight for me, the one that would get the biggest interest for me. But I, I would really like to see Conor fight someone else before he fights Gaethje. I'd like to see him have a fight, knock the rust off, then in his second training camp, go in against Gaethje and kind of have himself act, active, have him find a rhythm, have him kind of get back used to the strain and the drain of being... A guy who's gonna carry the who's gonna carry the card because even though the other guy's fighting on the card, he's the one who has to make it sell. He's the one who has to show the personality, he's the one who has to answer the hard questions. So I like to see him kind of get back in the groove, then go for a contender. I, I wouldn't want him to jump right into a gaugey. I like to fight a Paul Felder first, Donald Cerrone, somebody a little bit lower down the road, get the rust off, get sharp, see where he has, see where he's strong at, see where he's weak at, and then go for the bigger name. Because the secret to Connor's success the first time is it wasn't just his talent. It was activity. He fought more than anybody. He just fought so much. And when you fight that much, you're super sharp. You're in super good shape. You're super confident. When you're fighting once a year, no matter how good you are, you're never quite as sharp as you should be, in my opinion.
0: Okay. Then the next, then the next two he mentioned were Nate Diaz or Jorge Masvidal. Who would you rather see him fight?
1: Hmm. I I mean, if I'm looking for just pure money, then then I go for the Diaz fight. Diaz is the biggest fight. People will pay for that rematch anytime. That fight is a fight that sells anytime. It doesn't have to be built up. They already know each other. So Conor not being active isn't going to impact the fight any more than normal because these guys know each other inside and out. They, They shared the cage for that long. They face each other that long. They train specifically for each other. But that's probably the biggest fight. The best fight, once again, if he fights Masvidal and he beats him, that actually makes him a legitimate contender. Because right now, Masvidal is closer to a title shot or closer to contendership, real legitimate contendership, than Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz is the cult figure who puts on an exciting fight, and he, he, he he puts on spectacles. And that's what's kind of gotten him ahead right now. But if we look at Nate Diaz's record in the past year or two, he hasn't been spectacular. He's nowhere near a title fight. So, if we're talking about legitimacy as a fighter and a contender, Masvidal's a fight to go. Gaethje is a fight to go. If you're talking about maybe just making money, and reintroducing yourself to the fans, and putting yourself in the best position to get mainstream media on your side, and to really push those pay-per-view buys, then you go for you go for Cowboy. Or you go for Diaz. I mean, there are two sides. Two different sides of the same coin. Either one will. Re- reestablish you but one reestablished you as a legitimate threat the other one reestablished you as a legitimate pay-per-view seller and needle mover as dana white would say
0: and then the third one was um khabib versus ferguson out of those two who would you rather see him fight
1: out of who Ferguson? Uh, Tony and um, Khabib. To be honest, I don't I don't want him to fight Tony and Khabib until he's had one or two fights. I I thought the biggest mistake he made and the biggest mistake Ronda Rousey made when she came back, the biggest mistake all these people make is they go through these extended times off, and then they jump right into a name fight with the, the biggest, the number one or number two person in the division. I've never understood that. Some cases it works, like with Dominic Cruz, came and beat T.J. Dillashaw or when John Jones came back, but out, outside of those rare occasions, nine times out of ten, it's a bad fight for the name fighter. I'm always the person who's more who falls on the side of being active and working your way up to the big names. I would want to see Conor, and not that I doubt Conor's skills, but I don't want to see him in with a Tony or Khabib until he's had at least, at least two fights prior. I mean, he can take the fight. He can do whatever he wants. I would not like to see him fight uh, Khabib or Tony until until he's gotten past a until he's gotten past either Cowboy and Gaethje or gotten past Diaz and Masvidal to at least get him ready for that level of competition. You can't no matter how good you are, you can't just jump in against the best of the best and think you're going to dominate. Now people say Floyd Mayweather did it, but Floyd wasn't fighting the best guys in the division. He was fighting pretty good guys in the division. Khabib and Tony aren't just pretty good guys. They're basically the elite in the division, and I don't see how you prepare for them without being active as far as fighting. So I, I wouldn't even keep any of those guys on my board. Those two aren't even on the board until he wins two fights in a row.
0: Okay, all right. Some good. Uh, some, uh, okay, good. So let's move on because I want to talk about a couple of other topics. From um, this weekend and just some other news is going on, I want to take take some time to touch upon this situation with Macy Barber and Paige Vincent. So, for those who are not familiar with the situation, Macy Barber has been spending pretty much the last year or so calling out Paige Vincent any opportunity she can. She can't keep Paige's name out of her mouth, and Macy just fought this past weekend, picking up a pretty decisive win. Um, at I can't remember what event that was, but she picked up a pretty uh, straightforward win. She's eight and zero as a professional. I think she's oh, Julian number... Robertson. Julian Rob. Okay, Julian Robertson. She's ranked number eight right now. Let me look at that again, real quick. Uh, Macy Barber is ranked number uh, ten in the in the division. Paige VanZant is ranked number uh, fifteen. She was not ranked before, and she was actually just slotted back into the into the spot. And everyone knows Paige. She's the one, the woman that. UFC has been kind of riding high on because uh, you know she has that she has that crossover appeal. She was on Dancing with the Stars. She did fantastic there. That you see her frequently. In a lot of um, commercials. She hasn't been competing as much because she just came back from a serious arm injury. She fought this past January, picking up a win over Rachel Ostovich. That was her first time fighting in a year. And In an interesting conversation, Paige had with um, Ariel Helwani. She says she makes almost like $200,000 a year just from her sponsorships alone. She doesn't need to fight anymore. When you're making $200,000 a year from your sponsorships, she doesn't need to the jump and, and take any fight that uh, is thrown her way or anybody that mentions her name. Any person on the UFC roster, male or female, would want a $200,000 um, annual salary just from sponsorships. So let's just go ahead and put that out there. But Macy's been continuously calling... Paige out making it seem like Paige is afraid to fight her, and you know, idiot um, MMA fans are talking about oh, Paige is scared, Paige is scared, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, but they're not looking at this from a business deal. So, Paige Van Zant actually recently put up a, a, a social media post talking about she's willing to fight anyone at 115 or 125, anyone not named Macy Barber, because she feels like Macy's being disrespectful. In my opinion, as I watch this situation, I continue to watch it unfold. Macy just posted something on Instagram as we were on air saying more of, 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 the, of the, the same. This is getting really cringeworthy to me. In my, like, I would just want, I would be totally on board with this fight if Macy just came out and said, look, Paige Van Zandt is making X amount of money doing nothing but promoting herself via social media. I want that same thing. I want that two hundred thousand dollars that she gets every year, and I think the way to get there is by beating her within an inch of her life. I'm just as attractive as 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 she is. I can be promoted by the u f c the same way she was, and I fight better than her, and I want to take what she has, but instead, she's going about this way that is just so cringeworthy and like it's it makes me look at the situation like this is not pro wrestling like stop it like there's a point where you can tell where it's overly fabricated and overly um, overly manufactured. And this is definitely one of those moments and is not making me interested in seeing Macy Barber fight in any way, shape, or form. Have you been following the situation, and what are some of your thoughts?
1: Yeah, people get on me about Macy Barber because I've been very frank about her skill set and very frank about her limitations. I, I'm, I think she's a good fighter. I think she's got a lot of physical tools. I think she has sort of an an attitude and a charisma that could, that could carry, carry her with a certain segment of fans if she plays it right. But the fact of the matter is Macy Barber wants, wants Paige Van, Van because she thinks it's an easy fight, and she just won't say it. And we've had this discussion before when we talked about how people were bashing Paige or bashing Michelle Waterson, and people were like, they're not real fighters, they're not legitimate fighters, they did the same thing with Conor, and everybody says they're easy work or they're, they're frauds, Sage Northcutt, they're frauds. And I'm a real fighter and they're not a real fighter. But every time those real fighters get a microphone in their hand, do they call the person out who's five levels ahead of them? No. They call the champion? No. They call the fighter who everybody's avoiding in division? No. They always go after the name fighter, even though they just got done saying they can't fight. They're a part-time fighter. They've got no heart. They're scared of me. Why would you as a professional fighter want to fight somebody who's, who's scared of you, has no heart, and isn't properly trained to compete against you? because you're no different than anybody else. You want to get paid. It's not about being the best. It's not about making a legacy for yourself. It's about getting the most money, point blank, period. And nobody wants to have that conversation. They don't want to be that honest. And I've said this before, they are all frauds. This whole, I do it for free, I'm a real warrior, blah, 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 blah. Y'all aren't like me, you work your regular jobs. No, you're exactly like me. You want to get a raise. You want to get a promotion, and you'll do whatever it takes to get it, even if it means taking the easier route to the money. Now, I don't hate you for taking the easier route to the money. That's what you're supposed to do. But don't tell me that you're some kind of unbeatable warrior, and the rest of us don't know what your life is like. No, I don't know what your life is like. I can't take a shortcut to get a raise in my job. I can't take a shortcut to a better lifestyle. I can't go an easier route and take take a lesser challenge to get myself ahead. I only can go and get a bigger challenge to get myself ahead. And that's what separates MMA from all the other sports. That's what separates combat sports from other sports. In other sports, you can't be the champion unless you beat all the higher-ranked people in front of you and the defending champion. In and basketball, golf, anything, you can't you can't do it. There's no shortcut. You can't just play the most popular team and get a title shot. You can play them. But you got to play the other 16 games and then the other four games, and then you get a title. Same thing in the NBA, but in combat sports, you get to pick and choose. And all Macy Barber is trying to do is pick and choose so that she can get some notoriety, get some money, and hopefully her fame will knock her four steps ahead so that she will get a title shot or get closer to a title shot instead of having to knock off the people who are legitimately ahead of her and legitimately better than her. And the fact of the matter is she's actually big enough and athletic enough and skilled enough that she could beat these girls. But she doesn't want to have to fight them. She wants to take a shortcut. And she just won't admit that. I don't know why she won't admit it. We all know it. But she won't admit it. She wants to take a shortcut. And before I finish, even though I don't know that Paige Manzan is dedicated to fighting anymore, this whole act that Paige Manzan is scared of her Paige Van Sant went, fought, went five rounds, almost five full rounds, with Rose Namajunas and took one of the worst beatings you will ever see a fighter take. She didn't run from that. She wasn't scared. She didn't quit. She took, she took, her, she took Rose Namajunas' strikes better than Michelle Watterson and Joanna Jadric did. She went out there and she went to war and took her beating and kept looking for more in every instant. she fought for Elise Harry. she fought Michelle Watterson. She fought for a round and a half with a broken arm. She may not be a very technical fighter. She may not be super dedicated to the art and the training of fighting. But once you lock the cage, very few people have the heart and mental toughness of a Paige Van Zandt. So even though I would feel that Macy Barber would be favored over her, the fact of the matter is she's never fought an athlete better than Paige Manzan. She's never fought anybody mentally tougher than Paige Manzan. She's never fought anybody physically tougher than Paige Manzan. And she's never fought anybody in better shape than Paige Van Zandt. She is not Paige Van Zandt's toughest opponent. Paige Van Zandt would be her very, very toughest opponent ever in her career. So to just assume that she would walk through Paige Van Zandt, just based on watching film and who they fought, is freaking nuts. So, to recap, Macy Bar- Barber wants an easy fight, so she can get money, money and move with the ranks. Paige Van Zandt is not nearly as easy as Macy Barber is making her out to be.
0: And what's interesting about the situation is there's so many different angles she could take if she's trying to cut her way through to the top of the 125-pound 125, um, 125 pound weight class. I mean, look, Antonia Shevchenko is ranked number 13. Macy Barber could beat her. I think she would definitely beat her. And you, well, you can fight 30. her. You could fight. You, well, hold on. You could fight Shevchenko, beat the hell out of her, and then turn around and call out her, her her sister, who's going to be there cage side. I mean, think of think of how much of a how much of a promotional uh, step that would be for her to do that. You can fight Roxanne Modaffari, Lauren Murphy has has been struggling as of late. There's so many women ahead of her that she could take a fight and and have a better, more valuable bout with than. Paige Van Zant. Like, M- Macy Barber reminds me of Tommy Lorraine. She's, in my opinion, she's a Tommy Lauren of of MMA, and I just can't stand her.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I said, I understand why she's doing it. Business sense, I get it. I-, I get it completely. But this whole the whole image of I'm a real fighter and you're not. I'm about this life and you're not, it's not, it's not the case. You can't be about this fight if you're taking what is on paper, the easiest challenge. That's not what the real warriors do. That's not what the gladiators did. They didn't take the easiest challenge. They went after the best. The people we look up to went after the best. Now, I can't falter for wanting to make money. I can't falter for wanting to move up the rankings, but but you, you, you can't... Paige resent as much of a fraud as you want to say she is, anybody want to say she is, she fought her way up. Now, when she got to the elite levels, she got her ass whooped and sent right back down, but she fought her way up. Man Van Zandt won, what, four, five, six fights in a row before she got rose nominated? How many fights has Macy Barber fought? How many fights in um, a row has she fought? Two. Macy, two. Barber
0: has, Macy Barber has had three UFC fights. Hannah Seifers, three. who's no longer in, in the UFC, I don't think. J.J. Aldrich, and then the one from this past Saturday.
1: Yeah, and she's only she looked good in two of them, and she almost got knocked out in one of them. I'm not, I'm not faulting her for that, but at the same level... Paige Van Zandt already fought better opposition. She fought Phyllis Herrick early when Phyllis Herrick had had some heat on her, and she whooped her ass. Macy Barber, all the fights she has won are fights she is supposed to win. They are technically, strategically, and athletically in her favor. Point blank, period. She hasn't done anything that she hasn't supposed to have done. So I like Macy Barber. I get why she's doing it. I just wish she would stop lying to fans. You are not about that life any more than anybody else. You're just like somebody else trying to find a shortcut, trying to find a cheat code to get to your goal. Fine, I get it. I respect it. Just stop representing that you're about that life like that. There are certain fighters who are, and they'll fight anybody and everybody. You are not one of them. You're looking for the payday. You're looking for the shortcut. And you haven't even had enough fights against top-level opposition for me to justify. I get what Frankie Edgar wants a shortcut. I get what Dustin Poirier wants to get a money fight. I get what Justin Gaethje wants to have a money fight. I don't understand why Macy Barber's calling for a money fight after her three fights, only really one of them over a ranked opponent.
0: I mean, you're, you're, you're spot on there, sir. You're, you're spot on. So there's one other thing I wanted to talk about, um, and that's this weekend's main event contest between Ben Askren and Damian Maya. And I was really excited about this fight when it was announced. And as I continue to think about it, I'm like, "Huh, what will this fight look like? How how excited should we be for this contest?" And let's kind of continue to break this down. Last night, I sat down and I watched the fight um, between Jake Shields and Damian Maya from six years ago. I, mean, I forgot how long ago that fight was, but six years ago, I sat down and I watched. Excuse me, I watched the fight from six years ago, and kind of just broke it apart. And it was much more—it was much more competitive than I remember it being. One thing, but on the ground, Maya definitely struggled against an individual who's willing to wrestle and um, defensively wrestle and wrestle out of scrambles, like Jake Shields was able to do. Watching this fight, I got concerned about what Saturday's contest will look like because Shields is nowhere near the wrestler that Brent Asprey is. Damian Maya has has he's built in a, a game plan, you know, to get in tight on, on on his opponent, get a grip, either pull guard or find his way to his opponent's back. But the situation is, what does he want to do once Ben Askin grabs a hold of him? That and that's and Ben Askren is one of those individuals that once he gets a hold of you, there's not too much you can do. I mean, competing to Madoff is like right there with him. What do you see this fight looking like, and is the Shields and Maya fight from six years ago, a good blueprint in thinking how this bout will, will go? Uh,
1: well, the biggest thing is I think Shields is more of a meat and potato wrestler and, um, and, he's, and he's, he's a more structured grappler in, in his game. From what I've seen of Ben Askren and I don't know everything about him, he's more of an un- unorthodox wrestler and an un- unorth- uh, unorthodox grappler. So I, the, it's really hard to say how he's going to respond to things. Other guys, because Maya is going to try and take him down, because Maya works best from top. He, he's not really good in neutral positions. He's not really great from the guard, mostly because people don't want to stay in his guard. They try to get past it. So he's usually good in scrambling to get top position or he gets top position off the takedown. So when he attempts to takedown on Ben Askren, is Askren just going to sprawl and brawl him? I don't really think so. I haven't seen any confidence in Askin's hands or a striking. In fact, if they stay on the feet, I'd almost expect Damian Maya to knock him out. Would Maia, or is he going to try and take him down with a clean takedown? Or is he going to try and hit a scramble or hit a switch or do a roll through? Any of the other things I'm mentioning expose him to being submitted by Damian Maya, expose him to momentarily having Maya in a position where he's on top. And if Maia's in on top, even for a second, he's going to have a chance to finish. I'm not saying he can. Well, I'm not going to say he can. He can. I'm not saying he will, but that's what he's going to be looking for. Those opportunities where someone's giving up position or giving up their base to hit a reversal, hit a scramble to get on top, where he's hoping he can catch Askren in transition. Jake Shields played a really beaten potatoes, safety first grappling game. with But he wasn't taking chances with his shots. He wasn't taking chances with his setups. He wasn't trying to go through roll-throughs or anything of that nature. He got him down. He was trying to pass his guard, get to dominant positions, and just chip away at him. I don't know that Ben Ashton is going to do that when Damian Maya comes after him looking for the takedown. And I believe Damian Maya will come after him looking for that takedown.
0: So what I saw that was interesting from the fight with Shields is that Maya wasn't looking for the takedown so much. What he was doing is he was getting... Into contact with Shields, and then scrambling to the back, he took the Shields back twice. I think in the first and the third round, off of what were definitely failed takedown attempts, but it opened up a scramble opportunity for him to get to my or get the Shields back. And I, and that's to me, in my opinion, that's his only route to victory because I don't even think he can knock Ben Askren out. I think that once he gets, like, there's not going to be a long time for him to stay in striking distance. I think Ben's going to be able to close the distance down, the same way he did with Robbie Lawler. But he's not going to be as concerned about Maya striking as he was with, with Lawler. And he's going to close that distance faster, and he's going to be able to shut shut that down.
1: I I think the thing about it is, against Covington, Woodley, and, and Usman, all who aren't the wrestler and grappler that Asker and all is, Maya went went after takedowns heavily against all three of them. All better wrestlers, all comp, all competent grapplers. He aggressively pursued takedowns. And when he didn't get the takedowns, he was striking off the sprawls, he was striking off the separations, he was entering behind jabs and leg kicks. He he busted up Colby Covington fairly bad on the feet. He got the Kamar Usman on the feet pretty well and he even had a couple moments against Tyron Woodley on the feet. So, I wouldn't think that he would subject himself to being on the defensive because I just haven't seen him be particularly great off his back. Now, if he gets people in his guard, yeah. But I don't, I don't know that I've seen Damian Maya finish a lot of people from his back. Usually he gets a takedown, escapes, gets to someone back on the ground, scrambles, gets on top of them, and he gets to work. I don't know how dangerous Damian Maya is strictly off his back in, in those three fights. In those two fights against Usman and Covington, he really got the stuffing beat out of him late off of his back. So mm-hmm. I have to believe that he's gonna. I have. I have to believe he's gonna pursue the takedown. The question is, does Askren do a sprawl? Does he pancake him, or does Askren figure, you know what? I'm gonna meet him on. Meet him in his area of specialties, and I'm gonna out-grapple him. I'm not just gonna out wrestle him. I'm gonna out grapple him. And I don't know that Askren is a step one through five kind of grappler or wrestler. I I don't know that Jake Shields isn't isn't. isn't as good a wrestler, but Jay Shields, or grapp- but Jay Shields in his grappling and his wrestling is very to the point. It's very, it's a very uh, progressive gra- wrestling style. It's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. He goes through all the steps, and he's very careful to maintain a secure position. He's not trying anything fancy. He's not tr- trying to spin around for a better position. He's not trying to scramble to get you off balance to set up a leg lock or a choke. He's really trying to work position, impose his will and chop you down, I I don't know that Ben Askren's going to do that. If somebody comes after him looking for a takedown, I don't know that he's going to do that. I don't know that that's how he works.
0: Yeah, the way I'm looking at this is I definitely think that Askren is, Askren isn't a better, put it like this. If I had to take both Askren and Maya and put them in ADCC, which is the greatest grappling competition biannual event, Damian Maya would do better. Um, because he has a better understanding of like he has a he's better from a technical standpoint when it comes to the grappling aspect of submission wrestling. Positional wrestling though, I'm going to give it the my, uh, I'm going to give it to Askren all day every day. I don't think that is going to be he's not going to be able to submit Maya. That's something I don't believe. But I think that he's going to be able to dominate and control the positions. Kind of the same way that Damian Maya did the Gunnar Nelson. Because Gunnar Nelson is another individual that has a high-quality grappling game, ADCC quality as well. I think he's a medalist in ADCC as well, too. And you saw mm. Maya couldn't submit him, but he did more than enough to get to solid positions and to deliver enough damage to make it seem like... or to, to, to win the bout. I think Aspin can do the same thing to him, but from a positional standpoint and using his wrestling and his grappling to um, be able to get to those better spots. He also competed in ADCC, didn't do nearly as well as Damian Maya. Damian Maya won it in 2007 and got second in 2005. I mean, he is a competent, competent grappler. Aspirin lost in, I think, the first round when, when he did ADCC. Um, but from an MMA base, getting to a position, staying on top, and looking like you're working to score points – I think Aspen has more than enough to um, win this fight.
1: I think he does, especially in the cardio aspect. I mean, as as Maya's gotten older, he fades, he fades terribly late in fights. And even though he's a grappler, being in another grinding, active, grappling match with a high-level grappler, high-level wrestler— is draining on guys it's just a matter of being more conditioned for it like i said the the main issue i have is how is ben asking going to respond when damien tate tries to take him down how is he going to respond when damien starts trying to strike with him? because as good as askren has been he has been taken down by guys who aren't good wrestlers he was taken down by lawler it was a slam but lawler still got him to the ground
0: it was a hammer, was down, I talking don't... about?
1: yeah oh yeah <laughs> excuse me me and then he got t- he got taken down to one and i want to say that um who's that guy jay he found bellator he fought in UFC. yeah i want to say that i want to say that he took him down or maybe got him in a neutral position off a of takedown so it's not it's not impossible to take ben Askren down it's not but what separates ben Askren for other wrestlers is his unique style his unique rhythm his willingness to take chances in the to get the superior positions once he gets them he can maintain them quite easily. But when you're attacking or forcing him into neutral positions, he'll take certain chances to get to the dominant position. And what I'm thinking is Damian Maya is going to look for that and look to get that, get to the back, get to the neck, get to the arm, and use the submission to get to the position and then control him and try and finish him. I'm not saying it's likely. Based off wrestling pedigree alone, it shouldn't be likely. But we've seen Damian Maya take down guys with excellent takedown defense, Rory, Rory McDonnell, We've seen him out-wrestle guys. Chael Sonnen, I think, I think John Fitch and Rick Story, why well not the caliber of, of, a, of a Ben Askren, they are comp- competent and accomplished wrestlers, and he easily out-wrestled them, which shows that he's got a certain caliber of wrestling it, to, a, to a certain level in mixed martial arts. So it's not out of the realm that he's going to try and get the takedown. Once again, it just depends on how Askren responds. And if he comes in behind a jab and starts you know, kind of throwing a thing, leg kicks and, and knees, I think he could get a clean entry and get Askren to the ground, or at least get him to the cage, to the position where is going to have to make a move that's going to expose him to being dragged to the ground or put in a position where he could be submitted.
0: Alright, so we're going to put a bet right now, $5 bet. I'm going to go, because yes, you named a lot of great wrestlers, good wrestlers, good collegiate wrestlers. From a wrestling standpoint, askin is on another plane. I'm going to put a $5 bet on the line right now. This is something we're going to start doing for future um, shows where, where we had this back and forth. I'm putting a $5 bet on the line. Damian Maya does not score a takedown on Saturday. Now, pulling guard and getting a sweep does not count. You gotta, he has to finish either a single leg, a double leg, some legit takedown, and take Ben Askren down. I'm putting a $5 bet on the table right now. Damian Maya does not get a takedown on Saturday.
1: You know, uh, you know, just for the, the art of the sport, I, I'll, I'll say that he can do it. I'll say that he gets takedown down some form, some fashion. He actually gets some kind of reactive or trip takedown down and puts and puts asking on his back at some point.
0: It's Oh, it's not happening. But OK, we're, we're, we're putting it on a on board right now. Five dollar bet. Uh, so before we close out today, let, there's a question that came in about retirement. And for those who did not see uh, Chris Wyman got knocked out for the fifth time on Saturday by Dominic Reyes. Um, stopped violently in the first round of their bout. This is the fifth time he's been knocked out. Luke Rockhold and uh, I think we, Luke Rockhold and Chris Wyman have been knocked out eight times since that fight that they had for the uh, what, what was it? The middleweight title all those years ago. So A lot of people are talking about Weidman and Rocco that they should retire however every time we had this conversation around mixed martial artists Some people have a hard time telling them that it's time for them to hang it up But after watching these two guys get the way they're getting they're getting knocked out more violently and they're getting knocked out faster Every single time they come back out into the cage Rocco is always already talking about hey, he may not be fighting again Weidman released a statement yesterday. I believe talking about he's not done but is there a point, Schwan, where we should be okay with telling fighters, hey, the time is now, you need to walk away, and the UFC should stop booking them in fights?
1: Well, we don't have the right to because it's really their career. And that that's the thing that's always in control. It's like, it's like I compare to being a parent. I have kids. After a certain point, I don't really have any say in what they do or how they do because it's their lives, they had to live with the consequences. The only thing that happens is when they make these decisions, they can't come to me and, well, I wish you would have pulled me out. I wish you would have stopped me. You should have been looking out for me. No, dude, you, you made the decision. You made the decision. You made the circumstance. Now live in the house that you burned down. You burned down the house. Now you got to live in the ashes. It's not my problem to fix it. It's not my problem to get you out of it. It's not my problem to, to listen to how sad and how Embarrassed you are about the circumstances you found yourself in. That's what it is with fighters, and a lot of fighters will sit there. and It's athlete. It's not just fighters; it's athletes. They'll waste their money. They'll take punishment. They won't take care of their bodies. They'll burn down relationships with coaches or organizations. And then when they write their book, or when they're they have nothing, and they're getting interviewed by some writer or some newspaper journalist or some ESPN or Fox Sports guy. Well, you know, the UFC is out for money, and the fans just turn their back on you when you start losing. And the people who were around there when I was going to the top weren't around when I was going to the bottom. Did they abandon you because they're not good friends? Or did they abandon you because they told you you need to retire because c- you can't fight anymore, and you said, I'm going to keep on going? So now you consider them traitors when they're just seeing things objectively. You can never tell somebody how to live their life or what to do. You can give suggestions. But just like you can't tell them what to do, that person can't come to you about their damage, their, their brain damage, their quality of life, the lack of money they didn't make for all the, cha- the chances they took and risk they took after the fact. You made an adult decision. Now deal with these adult consequences. And Chris Wyman has been a guy who's been, as you said, repeatedly knocked out. And I told you before, when, before years ago, him and Luke Rockhold were not made to dominate for an elite period of time. I said Rockhold's an overrated striker. He's defensively terrible. He can't take punishment. And whiteman I talk to people he trains with. He's not that great a wrestler. He's not that great a grappler. He's a big, long, aggressive guy who uses his length, his wrestling, and his forward pressure to mass defensive holes, lack of refinement in his offensive and counter striking, and and lack of refinement in his overall wrestling game. I'm not talking about I talked to some high school wrestler told me this. I, I talked to people who've been on the mat with him. I, I talked to world champion All-American wrestlers who wrestled that dude. That's where I got my information from, and that's why I told everybody it was not going to last. And that beating his corner allowed him to take against Rockhold ruined him. And when they sent him out the round after, after being beat with an inch of his life, that also ruined him. It's not the one-shot knockouts that kill you. It's extensive, extensive beatings, and they let him take one of the worst in the UFC's history. And that essentially, at that point, he essentially had the world class beaten out of him. And ever since then, he has been unable to catch as well as he pitches. And he'll be dominating a fight, get hit, and it's over. And now it's to the point where he can't even dominate fights now. As soon as you touch him, he's getting dropped. So somebody needs to tell him he needs to, he needs to stop fighting, but nobody's going to because nobody wants to get on his bad side. Everybody wants to be loyal and everybody wants to keep enabling him to continue to move forward. He moved up division two years too late, and, and like Gray Maynard, he's learning the appropriate fighting skills after his chin and his durability and his cardio has disappeared. Now he has no room for error when, when he's finally learning how to do the right things in a fight. Now he has no room for error. So every time he gets touched, he gets finished. So somebody should tell him this, but he's not going to listen. And it's not our job to harass him. It's not our job to insult him or question his intelligence. He made an adult decision. I will respect it. But when and if this goes badly, I don't want to hear the complaints about how the fans turned their back on you, the organization turned their back on you, your friend, friends turned their back on you. You turned your back on yourself when you decided to go against what common sense is telling you to do. But I also have to think about this. I don't, I don't know what other skills he has as far as making the kind of money he's used to making and being in the position he's, he's he's gotten used to being in. So it's, it's very hard to tell him to walk away from it. But if he doesn't want to walk away, cool. But don't walk away when those consequences come either. Don't start making a Don't point the finger. You made an adult decision. You deal with the adult consequences the same as everybody else in the world has to deal with. Just because you're a fighter, you don't get any special exemptions. Interesting thought,
0: Interesting thoughts there. The last thing I want to ask about this is from the UFC standpoint, should they take more of an onus and no longer signing guys to fight after like an extended no, period of time?
1: They, they, well, they could be moral about it, but the fact of the matter is the UFC is not in the feel-good business, just like any sport and any company is. I'm a really nice guy. Do you think Microsoft's going to hire me because I'm so wonderful? No. I don't meet the standards for what they want. The UFC wants people who, who, can, who can draw interest and people who can build other stars, people who can fight a little bit. Chris Weidman can fight a little bit. He's a former champion, so we draw some interest. And if you beat Chris Weidman and do it impressively, you legitimize yourself. Yo your, your Romero legit re-legitimized himself by stopping Chris Weidman. Gegard Mousasi got himself a fat contract at Bellator by stopping Chris Weidman. Luke Rockhold became the middleweight champion by stopping by stopping. Chris Weidman. A lot of guys have made their name and, and, and moved themselves up the division, uh, Jacare beat him to, by beating this guy. So he fills in every aspect of what they need him to do. Draw interest. Potentially establish a new contender or build a new star. And also, um, he can fight a little bit. It's not their job to look after him. I mean, sure, as people, we can all look after each other, but it's really not their job. It's not their responsibility. It's his career, His cornermen have known him for years. His training partners have known him for years. Dana White owes him nothing. Dana White hardly knows him. I don't care how well he thinks he knows him. He doesn't really know him. They're not really friends. It's not really his job to stop him. And to be quite honest, I think if he tried to, outside of cutting him, I think Chris White would try try and seek legal options to get back in the cage and fight again. So the UFC, should they do it? Yeah, they should do it to Chuck they should have done it to BJ they should do it to a lot of, there's lots of guys right now who, who need to hang it up but it's not their job to so if they don't do it they're not necessarily in the wrong they're doing their job making money building stars moving the division forward if, if, it, if it's at it, the risk to Chris Weisman's health they don't have to sleep badly at night because there's other people who've known Chris for years and her legitimate friends who he depends on who are allowing him to engage in this nonsense so if Matt Sarah can sleep well at night If Aljamain Sterling can sleep well at night, if Gian Vellante can sleep well at night, why the hell wouldn't Dana White sleep well at night?
0: True, true. Interesting thoughts there. So we're going to go ahead and close it out, man. Is there anything else you want to let anyone know that you're working on or anything else you want to say before we close down the show for this week?
1: Uh, Yes, there's a couple things. Back on this, uh, uh, there's two things I want to talk about. First, the Aspen Lab thing, she... She tried to get the fight overturned against Jermaine Durandamy. And I I get why people say that the fight should be overturned. It was somewhat of an early stoppage. But I'm going to say the same thing I said on a couple shows before. Before this ever happened, when she fought Sajara Eubanks, before she fought Sajara Eubanks, I had a long, extensive conversation about how terrible her defense is, how predictable her offense is, and how simplistic her preparation and training is for. And I said that... Eventually, Sajara's going to get tired. But until she gets tired, she's going to beat her ass. That's what happened. And after the fight, I said, when she faces a legitimate striker, she won't make it outside of a round. She has no ability to adjust. She has no ability to set up her strikes. She has no defense. She gets by on being tough and being physical and people being scared by her aggression and her her ability to outlast them. As soon as she fights somebody with some accuracy who's skilled at striking, she's going to get wiped out. I said that before the fight with Jermaine and me was announced. They announced it. You asked my opinion. I said she might not make it through a round. She does not have the skills. She does not have the corner work. She does not have the preparation. She might get knocked out quick. And then she got knocked out quick. And everybody's saying, well, anybody can get caught. No, no. Anybody can get caught. But she made five or six mistakes before she got caught. It was a terrible game plan. It was terrible execution. It was terrible footwork. It was terrible offense and terrible defense. She didn't have to end up in that position. She ended up in that position because she was not trained properly, she was not developed properly, and she was not prepared properly. How do you walk with your hands in front of your face and walk straight in on a world-class athlete who is also a world-class counter-striker with world-class power and world-class accuracy? In what, sense is, in what world does that make sense? It makes none. And that was her game plan. She former got countered. Yes, former champion. A girl who hurts 145ers. A girl who's a champion in kickboxing and mixed martial arts. And you walk straight in on her with a high guard. No footwork, no jab, no setup, no feint. Walk straight in. And you walk. she pulls down your guard, hits you with a straight shot, you fall to your knees. Now, Jermaine Durandaby could have decapitated her when she was on her knees. She pulled back and walked away. She could have leveled her with anything she wanted. Her hands weren't touching the mat. She could have iced her. She held back. Then they stopped the fight. So she could have finished it right there put coffin nails in her. She decided, you know what, enough's enough. I'm going to pull back and show some restraint. Now, I understand why Aspen lad's upset. But instead of getting upset at the ref who called the fight earlier, why don't you get upset at the fact that you missed, you made five or six mistakes that ended up in that position? Because when you win a fight, you don't give the ref credit. When you win a fight, you don't give your, your opponent credit. But when you lose a fight with technical and strategical mistakes you made now you want to look for excuses how about you show some development as a fighter in the past two years and maybe i'll consider you just got caught but when you're doing the same thing you've been doing for almost three or four years i ain't buying it and maybe other people will buy it and maybe other people have sympathy i'm not one of those people that was a terrible approach you paid for it. Work on your craft better sorry and i'm not saying this is an idiot fan because everybody says you're an idiot fan what do you know I don't know. I've had fighters ranked higher than her come to me for advice. I've had fighters who potentially would fight her come to me for advice. How would you approach her? How do you say this? What do you, after she got knocked out, I had calls from a lot of the camps being like, man, you called that. You called that three months ago. You said it was going to happen and it happened. And she got embarrassed. So she needs to work on her skill set, not legal options. That's her problem. Secondly, and finally, Macy Barber, very talented fighter. She's she's underdeveloped too. She's Aspen Ladd with a competent offensive striking game. She's not great defensively. She, ha- she She's in the transitioning period of her skill set. She's getting by on being big, strong, and physical with a decent offensive game. Her mid-range game isn't there. Her boxing game isn't there. She's either outside being effective, inside being effective. Mid-range, she's trash. And against the people she's had her dominant wins against, it's against Fighters who do not match up with her physically and don't have the technical, defensive, or offensive skills to get to the spots necessary to exploit her. The one person who did gave her a hell of a fight because she throws in combinations. She met her in the mid-range. She did not allow her to stay in, stay, in, stay at distance. She did not allow her to march her way through mid-range and get in close. And once she resisted and fought her, she put her in bad spots. Gillian Robertson doesn't have the skill set. She's not comfortable enough on the feet offensively. She damn sure isn't comfortable enough on the feet defensively. And she's not a good enough athlete to force the fight to the places she needs to fight to be at to activate her submission skills. It was a showcase fight. I don't care what Gillian Robinson is ranked. It was a showcase fight, and she was not prepared for it. She did not even attempt to attack Barber in the area she should have attempted to attack in. I'm not saying it's her coaching's fault. I'm just saying that's what happened. It was a showcase fight for her, just like the cipher fight was a showcase fight. Was it impressive? Yeah, it's impressive. It's great. She won. Spectacular. I'm not taking that away from her, but let's not act like this wasn't a fight that she wasn't supposed to win. It was a fight she was supposed to win. They gave her that fight to rebuild her after getting beat, pillar to post, by her last opponent. I'm not taking anything away from her. Talented young fighter. Has lots of potential. It's still young. It's still developing. But... I'm not going to ignore the facts. That's not my job. My job is not to ignore facts. And I have other camps calling me asking how to beat Macy Barber, too. And I told them before she got touched up in her last fight. And I told them what was going to happen in this fight. All you have to do is pay attention to what's happening. Great young talent, great potential. She is not elite yet, which is another reason why she's calling out someone who is also not considered elite in the division. Because she knows she isn't. And she knows she needs time. But she wants to get ahead, get a fight in, and take a shortcut instead of going the appropriate steps to develop herself and prepare herself for elite competition. So both of these fighters are in a similar stage because they're both fighters who, who lean heavily on their physical attributes and have done so to the detriment of the development of their other skill. They're going to be big names, hopefully, but both have a train of thought that could lead them to being derailed very soon if they get moved too fast. It's already happened to Aspen Ladd, it's very likely to happen to Macy Barber if she is not. Very meticulous in her training and very meticulous in the fight she is taking. I am done with my rant now.
0: Hey, that was a hell of a rant, and that's why we have you on the show each and every damn week. Uh, with that in mind, we're going to go ahead and close out. It's the weekend coming up. Don't work too hard this weekend. Everyone, will, we will be back next Thursday. I will probably probably drop a podcast tomorrow about professional wrestling. There's a lot to talk about there. And, yeah, let's go ahead and close it out, man. I appreciate you, and I appreciate you for joining me again
1: this week. No problem, man. It's been a pleasure as always. You take it easy. You too, sir. Everyone have a good night.